Well, good morning. Glad you're here this morning. Today we're going to continue in our series, Actions Speak Louder Than Words. Now before I do that, it's okay if we just take a moment to celebrate a few things. Can we do that? Okay, it doesn't matter. We're going to do it anyway, all right? So, so I think as a body of Christ, it's important to celebrate things. For example, Emily just got engaged. Everybody say hi to Emily and congratulations to Emily. And the engagement was perfect. Her, her, her fiance, CJ, got her to pay for a birthday party and then he engaged her at it. So guys... You need to remember that one. And then we got Kevron, who's fifth in the state in wrestling. He got fifth place Saturday, so give him a hand there. So proud of him. And then we had an amazing, amazing, amazing man fire on Friday night. God showed up in a powerful way, and so we're so thankful for that. Because as a church, we need to celebrate those things. And so today we're going to continue our series, Actions Speak Louder Than Words. And, And as we began this series, we started with three miracles of Jesus, three miracles that were very, very, very powerful And these miracles were obviously miracles that when he got done, people were ready to jump on board with Jesus. They're like, I want to follow you. I'm I'm all about this. I'm on board. And then Jesus paused, as we talked about last week, and realizing that people were going to jump on board, he pauses, and he doesn't perform a fourth miracle. He stops and reminds them of the call to be his disciple. He reminds them, if you really want to follow me, it's not about easy beliefism. If you want to follow me, there's going to be a cost that's associated with that. There's going to be something It's going to be required of you. And I love that because it was a reminder to that, us that Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And the sad thing about the story was two guys came up to him. Luke's gospel said there was three. But they come up to Jesus and they ask, hey, we'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, okay, great. Here's what it means to follow me. And guess what happens? They walk away without a word said. None of them. Follow Jesus. And hopefully when you left last week, you were forced to ask yourself this question. Am I a fan or am I a follower? Am I all in or not? Now today he jumps back into some miracles. And these miracles are very different from the miracles we've already seen. These miracles aren't about him healing disease. These are miracles where Jesus asserts power over the natural over the supernatural, and over the spiritual. And what I want us to do today is because as you look at these three miracles, you might find in your heart that these seem to be very different miracles. But the truth of the matter is this, is that the thread through all three miracles is it demonstrates the authority and the power of Christ. Now, why is that important for us today? Because I don't know about you, but I know Doug. And I know that sometimes I live my life as a follower of Jesus and I'm not convinced or I don't live up to the idea that I believe that my God is all-powerful. Now, I hate to say that, but it's true. And many of us would say, yeah, our God is all-powerful, but do we really live like he's all-powerful? Do we really live like we know that our God is able? Do we live with that high level of faith that says, I have an absolute conviction that my God is able? And so these stories are going to remind us, these miracles are going to remind us of the power of Jesus. And I believe these stories will apply to us as well. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Verse 23 is where I'm going to be. You don't have to stand today because we have so much territory to cover. But there's three things about Jesus' power that I want you to know. So the first one is found in chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. And it says this. And when he got into the boat, Jesus told the disciples, get in the boat, go to their side. His disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. Now, who is the he here? Jesus is asleep. And and then they began to wake him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. 
And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, What sort of man is this that even the winds obey him? Now, I want you to look with me at the story for a minute, because the first thing we see is that Jesus has power over the storms. Now, I want you to think just for a moment that it says arose a great storm. Let's talk about the arising part. Now, what you need to know is that they're on the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee historically, and you can study this later, but the Sea of Galilee was known for storms just popping up anywhere. It wasn't like you could see cloud fronts coming in and you're like, oh, there's a storm coming. No, no. They would just arise at any given moment. So this Sea of Galilee, where they're at, was common for that. But notice it says a great storm. You don't see often in Scripture an adjective tied to something unless it was important for a reason. So it's a great storm. The Greek word great is mega. You know, we all know what mega means, right? And then the storm is seismos. So here's what he's saying, that there's this enormous earth-rattling storm that is brewed. So it's not just a small storm. This is like hurricane level kind of stuff. I mean, this is a massive storm. It wasn't the average storm you saw pop up on the Sea of Galilee. This was a mega seismos. This was a great storm. And the Bible says that it's such a great storm that the waves began to overtake the what? The boat. Now, it's interesting that when all that happens, where is Jesus to be found? Where is he to be found? Asleep. Now, how many of you can sleep through storms? Okay, I can. I mean, there's times we lived in Missouri. My mom would call me because she was awesome at this. She'd call me and say, Douglas, because that's what my mom calls me. And she said, Douglas, you know, you need to be aware that there's a, we're under tornado warnings. Awesome, mom. Then the next morning, she'll call and go, how are you? I'm great. I slept through everything, you know, because I can. Now, I'm talking about sleeping through a storm. Could you sleep through a hurricane, though? No. That's the, I want you to understand, that's the kind of storm we're talking about. It's not a minimal. This is a magnificent, mega, enormous storm that comes up. The boat is being consumed with water, and we all know what that means. If you get in a boat and the water begins to consume the boat, where's the boat going? It's going down. But Jesus is in the boat. He's asleep. That's interesting here. When you, when you look at the story, I want you to look with me how the disciples responded to this. Look back in verse 25. It says this. And they went and they woke him saying, save us. We're perishing. Now, the they, way they responded was with great panic and great fear. Amen? That's how they responded. With great panic and great fear. And they went to Jesus and they just said, Jesus, Jesus, we're dying up here. Would you do something? Now, do you think they were a tad bit frustrated that Jesus is taking a cat nap while they're drowning? Now, it stands to reason if Jesus is on the boat, wouldn't he be in risk as much as they were in risk? Are you with me on that? Are you following me? Are you tracking? But Jesus is asleep, and they went and woke him up, and they're freaked out. I mean, they are panicking, they are fearful, and they go to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we're drowning up here, we're perishing. Would you do something? And I love what Jesus does. Look at verse 26. He does two things. First of all, he said to them this, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Two things Jesus did. First of all, he rebuked their lack of faith. Now, notice we've talked about this for a couple of weeks when it says, oh, you have little 
faith. That word little there, really the better translation is a lack of faith. Because remember, faith is not about quantity. It's not about quality. It's about the object. Remember us talking about that? That faith is all about the object of our faith, not how much we can muster up. And so he's looking at them and he's not rebuking them like, you know, you have such a low quality of faith. He's saying you have a lack of faith. Now, why would Jesus say that? Just just work with me. Why would he say that to them? Because they have forgotten what they've just seen, haven't they? I mean, a leper approaches, and Jesus does what to the leper? He touches it. And then a Roman centurion comes up and says, I've got this servant that's paralyzed and sick. Would you do something? And Jesus just speaks a word, and it happens. And then he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he just touches her, and the fever disappears. I mean, they have forgotten who they are traveling with. It's almost as if Peter, Jesus is saying this, guys, do you just not trust me? Haven't you seen all these crazy, amazing things that I've done? And yet you still don't believe. Now, I'm just going to tell you, when I read that into the story, there's a part of the Holy Spirit that just drives a knife deep into my heart. You know why? Because I have seen God do some amazing things in my life. But there's moments in my life I still struggle with a lack of faith. Can you resonate with that? I'm telling you. And he's like, guys, you've, you've traveled with me. You've heard me teach. You've watched me perform miracles. And you still don't trust me. And then Jesus does something very, very powerful here. Look what he does next. It says, then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great what? Calm. There was a great calm. He spoke to the wind and the storm. And it listened. Come on. Now, when you think about that, the only way you can parallel that is back to Genesis. The only time we see a voice speak that has that kind of power is in Genesis chapter 1 when God says, let there be light, and there was light. God says, let there be, and it was. Let there be, and it was. Six times. I mean, you talk about power to speak it and it occur, that's great power. And so Jesus goes, guys, you just don't trust me. I don't get it. All right. And he speaks to the storm. Mark tells us that he says, peace, be still. And the storm stopped. Now, if you're disciples, you feel really stupid right about now, don't you? Right? Because you're traveling with the creator of the universe, the one you've bought into, the one you've seen do all these great miracles, and yet your lack of faith. And once again, he reminds you of who he is. He is not just man. He is God-man. And he speaks to the storm, and the storm has a great calm. Now, let me just tell you why this is so important for us today. Please hear me. There are many of us in the room today that are going through a storm. Maybe there's many of us in here today that have just come out of a storm. Or maybe there's many of us in here today that are about to head into a storm. And here's my question for you. When storms come in life, how do we respond? Do we respond with great panic and fear? Or do we respond with great faith and trusting that God has got me, that he's in control? Now, if we were real honest and just you and I in a room and we could have a real candid conversation, I would say most of us in the room would say most of the time when storms come, it creates panic and fear in my life rather than a resounding faith in my life. And so I began praying about two weeks ago as I was preparing this. I thought, Lord, why is that? Lord, why is it when storms come in life? Let's, let's talk about storms real quickly. We don't ever do this, but we're going to give a chance to do this. All right? Tell me some storms. Just shout them out that come in life. Just shout them out. What are some storms that come? 
Death, yes. What else? Finances, yes. What else? What? Divorce, yes. What else? Cancer, yes. What else? In, uh, unemployment, yes. What else? Depression. Listen, those storms, listen, do those storms, do you see them coming most of the time? Do you see cancer coming down the pike? No. Do you see financial ruin oftentimes coming down when all of a sudden you lose a job like that? Do you see those things coming down the pike? Absolutely. Our lives are just like the Sea of Galilee. In a moment's notice, storms just pop up. And when they do, how do we respond? With great faith? Lord, I trust you. With great fear and panic. And so I began praying, Lord, why is it that I know in my life that when storms pop up, I have a tendency to gravitate toward fear, not faith? And here's what I believe the Lord just kind of showed me as I keep reading this passage, and it's this. The reason fear sets in, in my heart and maybe your hearts, the reason panic sets in in my heart and maybe your hearts is because we have a very small view of God. The reason fear and panic overwhelm us when storms come is because we have a small view of God. There's something in us that says, I'm just not quite sure that he's able. I'm just not quite sure that God is paying attention to me. Sometimes I feel like God is asleep on the throne, like Jesus was asleep in the boat. And I'm just not sure God's got my back. Can you say yes? I mean, would you say that that may be your story too? That maybe the reason you gravitate to fear and panic is because maybe you have a small view of God. See, here's the deal. When we let faith kind of resound in our hearts, we let faith settle in. It's because we have a big view of God, right? So when storms come my way and I trust God and I have this faith that say, God, no matter what comes my way, no matter the cancer or no matter what comes my way, the, the finances, whatever happens, Lord. I trust you. When we let faith kind of resound in our hearts, it's because we have a big view of God that says, I know that he's worthy to be trusted. Right? I know that he is worthy to be trusted. See, when I let faith, when storms come, resound in my heart, it reminds me that Jesus is present and that he's in control. Right? See, when storms come and I let faith take over, not fear, I'm reminded that Jesus is present and that he is in control. Now, what happens when I'm reminded of that? A couple of things. First of all, and, I, and I'm about to ruffle all your feathers. Here it is. Is it possible that God allows storms to come into our lives? But I hate them, don't you? I hate them. But yes, but see, I would never recognize that if there's fear and panic in my heart. But if there's faith in my heart and I'm trusting God, then I'm able to look at my storm and realize one of two things. One could be that maybe God has allowed this in my life. Now, why would God allow a storm in your life? Number one, possibly because he wants to remind you of the fragile nature of life. That life is but a vapor and we need to be reminded how fragile it is. Maybe he lets a storm come into your life because he wants to remind us how much we desperately need him. Amen? Now, here's the thing that's going to mess you up. You ready? Maybe he's allowing a storm to come into your life because the only way to get you where he wants you is to let you go through that storm. You ever thought about that? Maybe the reason he's allowed the storm to come into your life is because where he wants you spiritually, it's going to take a storm in your life to get you where he wants you. 
See, when I let faith sit in the heart of my life, when storms come, it lets me look at my storm and go, maybe God allowed it. But it also lets me look at a storm and go, okay, God, but if you didn't allow it, I'm going to trust you. I know you're in control. Would you please take this away from me? And maybe sometimes he will speak to our storms and they will go away. But here's the point. Storms are coming. Amen? Whether you like it or not, storms are coming. They're painful. They hurt. They're coming your way. But here's the matter. When storms come, are you going to let fear and panic reside in your heart? Are you going to let faith reside? Because when faith resides, that means no matter what happens, I trust God. No matter what happens, I know he's got my back. No matter what happens, I know that either he allowed this in my life or he's going to speak to it. And either way, guess who gets the glory? He does. Not me. Right? And so maybe you've got a storm going through your life, and what you need to know is this, that when storms come, Jesus is present, and he is in control. Is that good news? If it's good news, say amen. amen. Man, that's great news for us. Let's look at the second miracle. Verse 28 to 34 it says this, And when he came to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, in the country of Gerizines, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. I mean, that's pretty intense. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? Now a herd of pigs was feeding some distance from them, and the demons begged him, If you will cast us and send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed to the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, going into the city, and they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, listen to this, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to what? To leave. Now, what does this show us about Jesus? Not only does he have power over storms, the natural, he has power over demons, the supernatural. Now, I want you to notice when you look at the story here, here are two demon-possessed men, and it says that they were so possessed and the demons were so violent in them that nobody could pass by, meaning these guys that are possessed by demons, they're homicidal. Um, if you pass by their way, they're likely to kill you. I mean, these guys are super intense, and the demons inside of these guys recognized Jesus, didn't they? And here's what they said. Look at this. They said this, and they cried out, what do you want to do with us, O son of God? And he said, in other words, they recognized that this is not just a man. This is God, man. This is Jesus. And they said, what do you come here for, Jesus? Have you come to torment us? Because ultimately, they, said, they know this. They said, have you come to torment us before the time has come? Meaning they understood that ultimately their destiny lies in the hand of Jesus. Have you come to torment us? And then they make the craziest request in the world. You know what it was? Look at verse 30. Here's the request. Now a herd of pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, if you will cast us out, send us away in the herd of pigs. Now, when you read that, that's a bit bizarre, is it not? Is it not a bit bizarre? Now, you, if you want to get some deeper insight in this, you can look at Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, because they give some different insight. Because here's what Mark's gospel tells us. He tells us this, that the demons said, don't cast us into Hades, let us go into the pigs. And that's important to know. Here's why. Because hell, listen to this, hell is not the home of the devil and his demons. Hell is their punishment too. 
Hades is their punishment too. One day when they are cast in the lake of fire, it's not where they reign and rule. It is their eternal punishment too. And demons are allowed to roam the earth now, but Hades and hell and the bottomless pit, that is their punishment too. And they said, Jesus, we don't want to experience our eternal punishment yet. Would you just put us in the pigs? Why? Because if you put us in the pigs and we kill the pigs, our demonic spirits are free to roam. So Jesus says with one word, one word only, go. And the men are released from the demons. The demons go into the pigs, and the pigs die, and their spirits are free to roam. Now, here's the thing. We could talk a lot about this story. We could talk about Jesus' authority over the demonic power. We could do a lot of stuff there. But here's the one thing I don't want you to miss. Here were two men possessed by demons, and with one word, they were set free. With one word, they were set free. Jesus said, go, and the demons went, and two men that were violent, two men that were, had been attacked by the demons, two men that were haunted by demons, in a moment, were set free. Now, why is that important to us today? I don't think any of you, here's good news, I don't think anybody in this room is demon-possessed. Amen? If you didn't say amen, you might be. But I'm just going to say, I don't think anybody is. I don't think anybody is. Now, you may act like you are, but I don't think anybody is. But here's what I do want to say. There are some of you in this room today that are being haunted by the demons of your past. There are some of you in the room today that are being haunted by the demons that are weighing you down from your past. There are some of you that are under demonic attack today. You're trying to live for the Lord, and every time you turn around, you just don't feel like you can get one foot going the right direction. You feel like you're always under attack of the enemy, Right? You feel that way? Well, I want to tell you something. When you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you said yes to Christ, you were set free from the payment and the penalty of sin, and you were also set free from the power of the devil. He has no authority over you. And so as a believer today, if you feel like the demons of your past are haunting you, or you feel like you're under demonic attack, can I just tell you what we need to be reminded of? That greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That because I am indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the enemy has no power over me. Amen? Now, here's the thing. We need to start living that way, right? Some of us walk around like we have, and I've said this before, like keyhole theology. You know, gloom, despair, agony on me. I mean, we walk around depressed and defeated like we're just, we're just losers and we're just, we're just surviving and we're just buying our time. No, you've been given life. You've been given an abundant life. You're not just to survive. You're called to thrive. And we've got to let the demons of the past die. We've got to let the enemy that attacks us say, you get away from me, devil, because if I resist the devil, he must what? Flee. See, some of you are wrestling with some demons today, and I'm just telling you, you need to kick them right in the tail. You need to say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. With a word, they were set free. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been set free. Quit acting like you're in slavery. Amen? Third miracle. Here we go. Jesus has power over storms. He has power over demons. And one more thing. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 8. And getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own town, his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying in a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, self, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts. Now, who knows our thoughts? Jesus, which means he's what? Don't miss that. 
Don't miss that. Can I just say this as a parenthesis here? Sin is not just what you do. Sin is what you do that's rebellion against God, what you think, and what you say. Anything you think and do and say that's rebellion against God is sin. He knows your thoughts. A little bit scary, isn't it? Here you go. He says this. Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is it easier to say that your sins are forgiven or say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise up, take your bed, and go home. And he rose up. Now, I have this underlined in my Bible. And he rose up. I mean, okay, I cannot exaggerate enough how powerful the words of Jesus really are. He said, peace be still, and the storm stopped. He told the two demon-possessed men, go, and they went. And then he tells the paralytic, get up. And he got up. I mean, listen to me. Please hear me. We serve a God who's ultimately in control. And we need to celebrate that. And look what happens the rest of the story. It says this, and he rose and he went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were afraid and they glorified God saying, who has given this man such authority. Now, here's what we learned about Jesus. Not only does he have power over storms, power over demons, last thing, he has power over sin and to forgive sin. He has power to forgive sin. Now, if you were to flip over to Luke's gospel, don't do this. Luke gives us more insight into the story. Luke tells us about these friends. These friends actually climbed up to a roof and they dug a hole in the roof and they took this paralytic friend and they dropped him down through the hole in the roof. Now, why would they dig a hole in the roof? Because they want to make an amazing entrance? No. You find loose gospel, this room was packed out, that there was no room in there. And so these friends wanted their, their friend who was on a mat, who's paralyzed, to so get in front of Jesus, they weren't going to let anything stop them. So they climb onto the roof of this building, they, uh, they began to dig away the top of the roof, and they dropped this man in front of Jesus. That's what happened. And it says here that Jesus recognized their faith. Now, would you say there was a lot of faith on these guys to go to that work to drop their friend in front of Jesus? Now, why do you think they went to that length? Because they understood there's only one person that could deal with this guy's issue, and it was Jesus. And whatever it took, they were going to get him in front of Jesus. Now, listen, that is a theme you see all throughout the Gospels. Like one of my favorite stories like that, that, that I know Elijah's taught on to our, with our teenagers, the story of Bartimaeus. Jesus passing by. And he's going to do whatever it takes to get in front of Jesus. I mean, people go to dramatic and drastic measures to get in front of the only one that can change them. And so they dig this hole, they drop this man in there, and Jesus recognizes their faith. Their meaning, he recognized their absolute conviction that he was able to meet their needs. And then Jesus says something that is so on the surface irrelevant. Look what he says in verse, the very verse, uh, like verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, pause for a moment. Is that an awkward statement based on the situation? Come on, now, don't, don't act like you've been in church all your life. Just think about it for a moment. Is that an awkward thing? This guy's paralyzed, right? They've dug a hole. They've seen him. I mean, if you're the crowd that day, you're seeing this guy slowly. Hope he didn't fall off that mat, right? He's coming all the way down. And he's right there in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he recognizes their faith and he recognizes his faith. And here's Jesus' conclusion. Take heart, my son. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. I can't wait. I can't wait. Your sins are forgiven. What? I didn't, I didn't come for my sins. 
I can't because I can't walk. That makes no sense. But what Jesus said is huge for us today. Listen, Jesus recognized something we need to recognize, that man's greatest needs aren't physical. That man's greatest need is spiritual. That man's greatest need is for the forgiveness of sin. I don't care what you brought into the room today, but many of you, maybe you've never trusted Christ, and here's your story. You've tried to fill the void in your life with everything. You thought everything could fill that void. Listen to me. Here's your greatest need. It's not be a better version of you. Your greatest need is you need the creator of the universe to forgive your sins, period. And Jesus knew that. And then the religious leaders in the room, these scribes, look what they thought. Verse 3. They thought this, and it says, and the scribes, behold, some of the scribes would say to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Now, why would they say that he's blaspheming? They would say it because of this. Here was the Jewish way of thinking. They thought the reason this man was paralyzed was because of his personal sin. Okay? So if Jesus just forgave his sin, what should this guy be no more? What should he be no more? paralyzed, right? So in the, the Jewish way of thinking was, if, in fact, if you can just trace it all the way through, that's why in the Jewish system, cleanliness really matters. I don't mean showering. I'm talking about being clean before God. That's why the priests, when they would go into the temple and have to offer up, they offer an offering, they had to go through all these ceremonial cleansing things because they believed that anything could contaminate. So if you had any kind of disability, it's a result of your own personal sin, and you were to be ostracized. Dave and I just had this conversation before service. You were to be ostracized and even to the point of mistreated. But if you forgave his sins, Jesus, for real, this guy would be walking. He blasphemes. Are you following what he's thinking? And then Jesus, look at what Jesus does next, verse 4. Jesus does this, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is it easier to say that your sins are forgiven or say, rise and walk? Now, here's what Jesus says. He says, he says listen, why, why are your hearts so evil? Why are you thinking evil? Why do you think that this man is paralyzed because of his own personal sin? Now, let's just think about this for a minute. Is the reason this guy paralyzed because of sin? Yes. Now, here's what I mean. The reason that disease and sickness and suffering or in the world we live in is because we live in a fallen, a broken, and a sinful world. Amen? I get asked a lot of times, why does bad things happen? Because we live in a sinful world. But this guy's situation wasn't a result of his personal sin. It was a result that we live in a broken and a sinful world. And sin just leads to those kinds of things. And so Jesus, knowing them, says, so which is it easier to say? He asks a question. So what's it easier to say? For me to say, hey, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. Now think about it from a humanly standpoint. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because there's no demonstration. I could say it. I could look, I could look at him and say, your sins are forgiven, and nobody would know anything other than what I just said. But if they thought if you really were forgiven, then this guy would get up and walk. See, the funny thing is this, that for God, both statements are equally easy right? To forgive sins and to heal the paralytic. And so I love what Jesus does in verse 5. Look at this, or verse 6. Look what he does in verse 6 through 8. Here's what Jesus does. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, read it with me, rise up, 
Pick up your bed and do what? Go home. Rise up. Now, in other words, he said, listen, your thinking is evil and it's wrong. But I'm just about to show out. Right? Come on, come on. Is it okay that Jesus showed out for a moment? Now, there was an arrogance in Jesus, but he was showing that he has power. He was showing that he is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh. And he says, so, so that you may be satisfied that this guy's sins really are forgiven. He looks at the guy and says, pick up your mat and go home. And then look at verse 7. It says this. I love it. Verse 7. And he rose, and what did he do? And he went home, right? Wouldn't you love to be there in that moment? Wouldn't you love to be there and go, okay, Jesus, this is pretty intense. I mean, you have a room full of people watching. If you say rise, take up your mat and go home, and the dude can't walk, you've just shot yourself in the foot. I mean, your movement is ended right now. But Jesus says the words, the words, got it? Peace be still, and it happened. Go, and the demons left. Get up and walk. And what happened? He got up, and he walked. Now, the reason this passage is so powerful is because it reminds us that the greatest need of every man is what? Is it physical or is it spiritual? It's spiritual. It is absolutely spiritual is the greatest need of every man. And only Jesus can forgive us our sins. Now, here's what I want us to do today. All right, you can close your notes. You can close your Bibles. Here's what I want us to do this morning as we close. I want you to be honest enough to say this. You know what? I recognize that Jesus has the power over the storms. He has power over demons and demonic activity and demonic attack. He has power to forgive sins. And I want you to answer this question. Which one of these are you going through? Maybe you're going through a storm this morning. Life has hit you hard. Will you respond out of fear or faith? Or maybe you feel like you're just under demonic attack. You feel like you're being attacked. Or you feel like the demons of the past are hounding you. Well, what are you going to do with those? Are you going to let them wallow in that? Or are you going to realize that you've been set free and start living that way? Or maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ. And you've tried everything in your life to fill that void. And today you realize that what you need more than anything else is to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to forgive me my sins. And know that he says, forgiven. You're forgiven. So wherever you find yourself, here's the invitation. Would you find yourself and just come to Jesus today and let him speak life into you? In just a moment, this altar is going to be open. And if you're wrestling with a storm or if you're wrestling with the demons of your past, would you just come and get on your knees before a holy God and just cry to him and say, Lord, I trust you. And if you're here today and you don't know him, would you give your life to him? I'm going to ask you just every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand with me? Everybody close your eyes and bow your heads. And would you just stand with me? I believe today the passages, the miracles are so relevant for us. So important for us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody's going to be looking around. I just want to ask you this. If you feel like today, hey man, I'm going through a really big storm. And really what I need more than anything is faith, not fear. Would you just slip your hand up and put it down? I'm just going to be praying for you. Man, up and down, Amen. Amen, all across the room. Amen. Amen, up and down. Wow. Wow. If you feel like today, you know what? I'm letting the demons of my past haunt me. Or I feel like I'm under demonic attack all the time. And I just need a relief. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? Man. Thank you for being honest. Wow, so many. So many. 
If that's you, if you're one of those two in a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I'm done, as soon as I say amen, this altar's open. Would you make a way here? Don't, don't let a moment leave you that you just kind of wait. Would you just come to this altar and just get before God and do business with him? But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and you know what you need is forgiveness and sin, here's what I ask you to do. Right now, would you just simply pray this? Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that more than anything else, what I need is forgiveness for my sins. And I ask you today to come into my life, to forgive me my sins, and to save me and change me and make me one of yours. And if you just prayed that, if you just said that, Scripture says, for any who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you made that decision, would you come and let us know? Would you maybe fill that out on your, your welcome card and drop it in the offering here a little bit? And just let us know that you made a decision for Christ today. It is the biggest decision you'll ever make. As I pray, I'm going to ask some of our leadership to make their way to the front sides of the room in case people just need to be prayed with. God, I love you. I thank you for today. There is so much meat in these passages that it just, it wrecks me, Lord. It wrecks me to look at my own life and see when storms come how panicked I get, how fearful I get. God, forgive me when I have a small view of you. I know you're a big God. I know you speak and it happens, but God, I am flawed and I'm wretched. And sometimes my view is just small. God, forgive me for that. Forgive us for that. God, I pray for those, there's many that are going through storms. May you sustain them through those storms. May you, may you help them stand on faith and not fear. May you let them know that maybe the storm they're going through is on purpose. And if it's not, if they trust you, maybe you'll speak to that storm and cease it. God, I pray for those who feel like they're under attack. Would you just give them relief? Would they just recognize that greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world? That they've been set free from that and that they would start claiming it and living that way. And God, for those two people, I pray, that are struggling, when we say amen, that they would find their way to this altar and just get before you and, and just declare their faith and their trust in you. And then God, I pray for those who a moment ago prayed that prayer, that they pass from death to life. They move from darkness to light. Now they have a home in heaven instead of eternity in a place called hell. God, may they celebrate that. May they let somebody know that. May they write it on the welcome card. May they give us some kind of way of letting them know that they've trusted Jesus. And for those that didn't do that, that need to, my prayer is simple, Lord. Would you just mess them up this week? Would your spirit just be so heavy in their life? that some point during this week that they would just surrender and just trust you. Lord, we need you this invitation. We need you to give us the courage to come to the altar and pray and declare our trust in you. And you need to give us courage for those who need to trust you to do that. Lord, we give this invitation to you. May you move only as you can. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. And everybody say amen. Hey, listen, if you're struggling, if you're struggling, with the demonic demons of the past, or if you're just struggling with anything that's going on, this altar is open. And I'm just going to tell you, for Doug in my life, can I just be honest? My posture usually reflects my heart. And if I have a willingness to get on my knees before a holy God, there's some real humbleness in my heart. So if you're wrestling with that, would you just humble yourself tonight, to this morning, and say, Lord, I need you. Is it okay to say that? Lord, I need you. This opportunity is available. 
You move as the Lord leads you. Patrick, you lead us.